Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. No? All good? All right. So um, you see at the top of your notes, our class is titled Anxious or Restful Decision-Making. Here we are entering uh, the second half of the class, where we move now sort of into thinking about how do we follow God's will? How do we um, think of this as like guidance in the Christian life, decision-making in the will of God, some of those issues. Um, But we still want to keep... keep close touch with these ideas of fear of God versus fear of man, Um, because I think what you'll hopefully see as we continue is that a big view of God, a big understanding of his character and his sovereignty and his goodness and his power and all these things um, really, really provides the bedrock for us in, in, in knowing how to move forward in God's will. Um, finding the courage to do what he's called us to do, finding the wisdom to do uh, what is right, and so on and so forth. So uh, the next uh, lessons we'll be thinking about decision-making, the will of God, um, which usually isn't a very relevant topic in the Christian life. I mean, typically we're not thinking about this very... I'm just kidding. This is like one of the biggest question marks in the Christian life, isn't it? Isn't this the stuff that we're always wrestling with? Like, what is God's will for me? I was being sarcastic, so sorry about that, but... Um, man, this is, uh, this is where a lot of us live on a day-to-day basis, right? We look to the future and we ask that question, oh man, what is God's will? And sometimes it's the, the day-to-day decisions, right? Um, should I uh, go to this event or that event? You know, oh, I double, double booked. Which one is better for me to do? Uh, you know, the, 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 the detail questions. Then there are the larger questions of life. Oh, should I should I keep doing the job that I'm doing, or should I transition to something different? Is this the best use of my time, or how should I serve at church? Um, you know, what, what's the best way for me to get involved? What does God want me to do? And uh, those can be challenging decisions to, uh, to make. Mixed with that, we all have different personality types, right? Some of us, uh, our, our personalities are prone to um, see things in more black and white. So think of the Apostle John, right? Either walk in the light or you walk in the dark. It's pretty simple. You know, this is kind of how John writes his, uh, his letters. Um, others of us see large gray areas, and everything is just kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do, and we can get stuck in, you know, weighing all the pros and cons, and it's a little scary to take that first step and make a decision. And, um, and so, how, you know, wrestling through our personalities and the scriptures and counsel from people. Maybe you've been in a scenario where you, you know, you thought through a decision. And you think, yep, I think this is really what God wants me to do. And I should probably get counsel from somebody. So you ask somebody and they tell you the opposite thing. No, 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 you shouldn't do that at all. It's like, oh, now I'm back at square one. You know, what do I do? So these, these kinds of things uh, can really uh, be tumultuous in the Christian life and difficult for us. Um, so I hope as we study this half of the course, it'll be an encouragement to you, first and foremost, to look to the Lord and remember what he's like. Again, that goal of just enlarging our view of him, our understanding of his sovereignty, of his care, uh, of the, the sufficiency of the scriptures um, in, in following him. And then practically speaking, that you would gain clarity and discernment in what it looks like to make decisions that are pleasing to the Lord and to step forward um, into those things, Okay. So let's dig into uh, decision-making and, and following God as we, uh, as we seek to please Him. We begin by thinking about uh, two kinds of decision-making. You sort of see them there at the top, anxious or restful. So I'll go ahead and give you your blanks. You can fill those in. We're going to talk about both kinds of decision-making. So listen to this story about a young man named Rob, and see if you can determine if this is anxious or restful decision-making, okay? When I was a sophomore in high school, I loved playing the guitar. I had just bought a new electric guitar, and I was in the market for an amplifier that would make me sound like a pro. I visited all the guitar shops and researched all the best amps to figure out which one I should buy. I finally settled on a small but powerful one, the Line 6 Flextone Amp. I thought it was awesome. 
But after I purchased it, I almost immediately had the feeling that I had made a bad decision. I'd never spent that much money on anything in my life, and I couldn't help but wonder if I had chosen the wrong amp. Well, the amp turned out to be fine. It served me well until I sold it to a friend some years ago. This was a relatively trivial decision in the grand scheme of my life, but I wonder how many of us can relate to this experience. We agonize over a decision, do lots of research, finally get up the courage to pull the trigger, and then still agonize about the decision. Well, obviously, that's more the anxious decision-making than the restful decision-making. And what you find interesting there is it's not even so much about just having the decision made, but both before and after the decision, there's anxiety in play, right? Uh, Which is a key clue into what's really going on here, that it's maybe not so much about the decision itself as much as it is about what's going on in my heart and, and where I'm looking and who I'm trusting in the process of making that decision. Uh, So anxious decision-making is when we are ruled by fear of man, fear of circumstances, fear of outcomes. And this is that, you know, that twisted nature in your stomach. Um, This is where the what-ifs kind of rule your thinking. Um, Well, I think this might be the right decision, but, but what if, you know, what if it doesn't work out the way I thought? What if, it, what if it breaks the second week we own it? Or what if, you know, and you can fill in the blanks, but there's like infinite what if statements that we, we toss around in our heads. Um, even that construction has been helpful to me. The, the what ifs tend to be fearful lines of reasoning and uh, aren't always as helpful uh, when making decisions. They're, they're connected to anxiety. Uh, So we're ruled by fear of man, circumstances, or outcomes. What might happen? What will people think? How is this going to go? What if I don't like it? What if it makes me uncomfortable? You know, the the list could go on and on and on. What we could call the opposite of anxious decision-making would be restful decision-making. Here, we rest in our fear of God. We rest in our fear of God. So I want to be clear about that that distinction because this is not merely just finding a way to be at peace with the decisions you make. Um, The goal is to rest in God, not in my decision-making ability, okay? And so I do want to be clear about that. The goal is not to just, you know, um, you know, just put all your fears to ease and then just be at peace with yourself. That's not the path we're headed down here. We're headed on a path where we rest in God and what he's like. And there is a way to make decisions that rests in our awe and reverence for God. So let's go to Luke chapter 12, um, verse 22. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. You're familiar with this series of verses here. Uh, But we'll just begin with verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what what you will put on. So Jesus uh, takes a couple of scenarios in life, eating and clothing, right? So food and, and, and clothing, two categories of life. Uh, where decisions need to be made. And, and you can make the argument that those are, you know, somewhat important categories of life. Um, you wouldn't want to go without food, and you wouldn't want to go without clothing, right? So they're necessary things. Um, but they're also, like in the details of life, they're also somewhat unimportant. So what I mean by that is, uh, you know, for lunch, do I eat the hamburger or the hot dog, Right. Do I wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? Well, obviously the blue shirt, okay? Uh, but, in, you know, in those more difficult decisions of life, some of these things seem, seem trivial. But God, God in Christ here has chosen two categories, eating and clothing, that are both important, like necessary for life, but also just kind of float in the small details of life too, okay? Um, and I think, that's, I think that's significant because God is sovereign over them both. Uh, the crucial things, the things we need, sleep, food, clothing, etc., um, and even the little details of life. 
And his command here is not to eat the hot dog or wear the blue shirt. His command here is not to worry, which is really interesting. So let's just discuss this for a moment. Why do you think God would be displeased with anxious decision-making? Why do you think God would be displeased with anxious decision-making? Okay, not trusting him. Good. What else? Doubting his control. Okay, so it questions specifically. We're not trusting him generally, but specifically we doubt his control. Any other ideas? Yeah. Okay, good. We haven't consulted him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Other ideas? Shows where our focus is. Mm -hmm. It's not on him, right? On self or other things, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Uh huh. It's not. Good. We're not led by wisdom. We're led by anxiety, fear, worry. Right. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent answers. So, uh, what we're doing when we're worried is we're, we're sort of unintentionally, maybe we'll, we'll give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, unintentionally saying to God that He's not trustworthy. Right? We're saying to God that he's not big enough to care for my needs. Um, he's not big enough to, to lead me where I need to go. Uh, and so, you know, these fears uh, of our circumstances, of, of our needs, of, of people, of outcomes become larger than, than God is. And that's a form of worship. So when I am anxious in my decision making, it's actually a form of worshiping the wrong things. And to find rest again involves worshiping God, right? Remembering that he's in control, uh, or remembering that he provides perfectly for my needs and that I can trust him. And, uh, you know, coming back to that place of right worship rather than bowing to uh, the, the fears uh, that are before me in, in making that decision. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's important that we, we do not worry. Um, you know, we could go over to the, uh, the Matthew passage of, of, of a similar uh, story when Jesus talks about not worrying, and he, and he points the listeners to some examples in life. You know, think about the sparrow. Think about the flower of the field. Don't I clothe them? You know, don't I, don't I meet their needs for food? He kind of asks those questions. And aren't you more valuable than they are? And by worrying, can you add any height to your stature? You know, you ask these great questions that you, you know, you read those just like, oh, yeah, no, I can't. I can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and it reminds us that our God is a perfect provider. And we really do. um, We show, we reveal in our hearts or we're worshiping the wrong things uh, when, when anxious, when anxiety is ruling, when fear is ruling. So. To return to a right place, to return to that restful decision-making, we return to fear of God, where again, in our minds and in our hearts, God is bigger than our fears. Now, again, obviously, he was never smaller than our fears. We were just seeing things that way. Uh, So getting back to Scripture, getting back to an understanding of what God is like uh, is important. All right, I think you get the big picture here. So let's, let's dig into some things that are helpful. First is understanding kind of how discerning God's will works. And there are a few theories out there. Um, you have them in your notes. Theory one is that guidance equals discerning God's plan. Now, the way that's worded sounds like, yeah, that sounds exactly right. But let me explain kind of what it means. It means that it's, there's this specific plan out there, and the Christian life is all about kind of treasure hunting, figuring out, you know, putting clues together and somehow discerning in every little scenario exactly what God's plan was. It also involves a common fallacy, uh, which is that since there is this written plan that I'm trying to figure out, if I make a mistake along the way, right? So I thought, I saw the treasure map said, turn left at the palm tree, but I actually turned right at the palm tree. Well, then for the rest of my life, I'm kind of off, you know, and so now when I go six steps to the left and 12 feet forward, 
I'm still headed the wrong direction, right? And so I've sort of lost God's will, God's plan. I messed it up. I'm out of it. Um, and so that's sort of what we mean by this, that guidance is just figuring out what, you know, somehow figuring out the treasure map, uh, what, what God's plan is, and, and following it uh, that way. Um, and so what, what can become discouraging in this theory of God's will is that it's somehow, you know, the God's up there kind of with this mystery, um, and, you know, we're, we're left down here sort of trying to figure it out and... You know, uh, he, he, it's almost as if he's making things difficult for us to determine his will. And I don't think any of those things are true um, about God or how he leads us or, or his will. I don't think that if we went right at the palm tree that we've, you know, messed up the rest of our lives um, and fallen out of his sovereign will. So there's one theory. Here's another one. Guidance is listening to God. And again, this sounds accurate in some ways, and depending on what a person means when they say listening to God, you know, maybe if, if they do mean just, you know, living by his word, you know, I suppose I could uh, agree with that to some extent. But, but this one tends to be more about, um, you know, just kind of looking for those, those feelings. Um, I don't like using movie references, so, but I will anyway. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember enough about this movie to say whether I'd recommend it or not. But anyway, The Princess Bride. Um, there's this point in the movie, there's a swordsman named Inigo Montoya. And uh, he's, he's trying to find something. He has the sword of his uh, father. And so he, he kind of does that. He holds the sword and closes his eyes. And he does this prayer thing. Father, lead me to where I need to go. And so he kind of wanders around like this, hoping the sword will lead him to the right place. And... Ironically enough, it actually does lead him to the right place. But uh, that's beside the point. That's what I think theory two is trying to describe. That it's this, you're, you're trying to like, you know, you, you drive by a billboard and it, and it has a word in it that reminds you, oh, yeah, maybe that means that God is wanting me to do this thing. You know, you're kind of always looking for signs from God or, or you, you, dream, you have something in a dream and so you kind of latch onto that. Ah, I think God wants me to do this. And so we're always sort of pulling for uh, some extra form of communication from God. Okay, so that's theory two about following God's will. Uh, Now, a a few problems here. Um, It's not that God can't um, lead us in those ways. God can do whatever he wants to, right? And and we can look back through scripture. God certainly has spoken in the past uh, through dreams, uh, visions, um, I don't think billboards ever come up, but actually a donkey at one point uh, is involved. So, you know, God is very creative in the way that he leads his people. But as we think about how God communicates, God has actually told us in the New Testament that he's no longer speaking in those ways. Just one quick verse that we'll go to um, to sort of shoot down this theory. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets. So there's our, there's our colorful range of God's communication. In various times and in various ways, God spoke through the prophets. And to be a prophet just meant that very thing, that God was speaking through you, okay? Um, however, notice verse 2. Has in these last days, so now there's a new period of time, a new era, uh, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So God spoke through his Son. You remember this in Jesus' life. What did he say over and over again? Were these just his words that he was teaching? No, over and over, Jesus said very clearly, these, these words are from the Father. I'm just speaking what the Father has told me, I'm telling to you. And if you remember our study in John uh, 14 through 17, Jesus' last period of teaching to the disciples, there's sort of this baton handoff where he says, the words of the Father, I have spoken to you so that you can teach others also. So the, the words of the Father are given to the Son. The Son hands them off to the apostles. We actually see that in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 
How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, but then what? Was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders uh, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that phrase in the end of verse 3, confirmed to us by those who heard him, the apostles. So those who listened to Jesus were then commissioned by him to continue to teach these things and ultimately to write them down. And that's where we get the New Testament, right? So though God at one point spoke in various ways through various people, he has now chosen to reveal himself through his son and then what has been written down from the words of his son, okay? And so that's why we don't look to dreams. We don't look to visions. We don't look for, you know, special things written on the wall like in Daniel or... I have hoped for that, though. You ever been there? I remember, actually, this is a... Yeah, so when I was a single man, I may or may not have prayed uh, that God would just make it so clear, like, like, like she would have Lance's wife written on her forehead or, or something on the wall... Um, Right? I mean, we just want that kind of clarity. Something. Anyway, so, but God has given us his word. That's how he works today. Um, so we have to watch out for that. How do we know what? Well, yeah, that's right. It's not there. That's correct. And that's why I say God, God can do whatever he wants. But what he has told us is the positive. God used to communicate this way, but now he speaks through the words of his son. And so I think the positive is enough to say, ah, that's the primary thing I should be looking to is the words of his son. That's where I should go for wisdom and direction and help. Can God still speak however he wants to? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Good question. All right, number three, guidance is wisdom. Guidance is wisdom. And this is probably where we'll land as what I'll call the most accurate of the three, um, where what we're seeking is to learn to be discerning, learn to be people of the word. Again, you have to be careful how you define wisdom um, because there are times in the Christian life when uh, I think in the name of, uh, of the gospel, in the name of the, the reputation of Christ, we will be called to make choices that would not normally be considered wise, right? Uh, so um, was it, well, let's see. Well, we'll just take the Apostle Paul. We've been studying him in Acts, right? Uh, was it wise for him to go back to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to be in chains and tortured? No, that, that, that's terribly unwise, you know, in that sense, except that God had told him to, right? And so um, when we think about wisdom, we're not just thinking purely on a human level that says always make, you know, the wise financial choices, always make the wise things here. We're talking about God's instruction. And so wisdom is uh, living with skill in God's ways, according to his word. Um, And there are times that doing that may mean that I put my life at risk, which somebody else might tell me is unwise, but I do it for the sake of the gospel. So that's why even this theory has to be balanced a little bit. It's not just wisdom, but it's this submission to God and his way and his word uh, and so forth. Um, Any questions on those theories about God's will and guidance? Um, Again, we're going we're gonna to dig in a little further, but any questions so far? Okay. Continuing on. Now, the idea of wisdom is attractive, but there's one other problem. So wouldn't it be great if you know, we could just internalize the word grow in our discernment, we have God's Spirit, and so we come to a decision, we apply the Scriptures, we pray about it, we, we, we just always make a wise choice, right? But there's still a problem with it. It's our enemy, indwelling sin. So even, even in sometimes in the ways that we think through things, we can be blind to issues that are, um, you know, kind of t- tipping the scales a little bit in our thinking, uh, and that's why outside counsel from friends is really helpful, 
uh, because they, they may not be under the, under the same influence of my fears uh, or the same influence of my emotions. And so they can kind of look into my life and say, well, you're thinking wisely in these terms, but I think you're giving too much weight to this fear. Um, you know, again, counsel can be helpful there. Uh, so indwelling sin uh, becomes a problem. So let's just talk through how we take this into account a little bit. First of all, sin blinds us and keeps us from making wise decisions. That statement is sort of one way to summarize the book of Proverbs. Uh, it is just over and over and over again uh, about how our foolishness, our uh, simplicity, as it's sometimes called, our scorn, our stubbornness, you know, you name it, uh, but keeps us from walking on the path of wisdom, walking on the Lord's path, uh, doing what is right and doing what is wise. So just notice a few categories of decisions and how our sin, uh, our, our sin nature tends to um, hinder us from making wise decisions. First of all, decisions of righteousness. This is, this is when like the line is very clear, you know, to, to use the King James Version, thou shalt not murder, right? So it's very clear, right or wrong. But people still do it, and we're going, why? But it's, just, it's very clear, you should not murder. You know, what are you, what are you thinking, right? What, what, why do people do it? Because of our sin nature. And so even there, um, when, when the line is incredibly clear, uh, we're blinded, we feel justified, we give in to uh, sinful motives, we disobey. Uh, In our sinfulness, we turn what is black and white into gray. We bring in all sorts of self-justifications. And so even with things that, you know, maybe murder is a little too too obvious or whatever, but uh, we know it's wrong to lie. Uh, We even know it's wrong to be anxious, right? But we do it, don't we? Why? Because we, we grow blind to things. We know it's wrong to get angry. Uh, but in all of these categories, we sort of self-justify, we grow blind to how we're drifting into sin, and, um, and so we have to watch out for that. So our sin can even mess us up in categories that are just very clearly black and white, and we still get off, okay? Then there are decisions of judgment. This is where maybe it's a gray area. This would be like Christian liberty issues, uh, so in the old, excuse me, in the New Testament, it was, you know, meat that had been offered to idols. Uh, it would, it was observance of special days, uh, a variety of things like that, that, that were debated within, you know, the Christians who were trying to please the Lord, they came down in different areas. Uh, and so judgment is involved. And, you know, in our present day, there's all sorts of things uh, that could fall into this category. W- what kind of schooling to do for your kids? Uh, what to do for a living? What kind of life insurance to buy? Uh, what kind of vehicles uh, w- will you drive? Where will you live? Um, you know, what will define your interactions with your neighbors? You know, the list could go on and on and on. Uh, these areas of judgment. And then finally, there are areas of triviality. Uh, some decisions are just small. So we can go back to the red shirt or the blue shirt. Again, it's pretty black and white, actually. It's, well, pretty red and blue, I guess, is more accurate. But There are so many trivial decisions in life. Uh, what do I eat for breakfast? Uh, you know, do these things matter to God? Do I need to labor over, you know, every morning, spend 30 minutes kind of staring into my pantry, deciding which cereal would please the Lord today? Um, does the Lord have a will about those things? Is it right or left at the palm tree is it the cornflakes or the raisin bran, you know? Well, that's a good question, and we'll get into uh, some of those issues. Uh, there are things that seem trivial, and I would say God doesn't have like a treasure map for us where if I, you know, just give in to my sin nature that morning and say, I don't care, I'm just eating something sweet, right? Well, that's probably not a wise choice. But on the other hand, there, you know, there might be a, a wiser choice I could make. Maybe I should have the, the Raisin Bran, get a little more fiber this morning. And Anyway, still very sweet, actually. Did you know Raisin Bran is super sweet? Yeah. I don't know how we got off into cereal, but now I'm hungry. So trivial decisions, uh, even those are affected by our sin nature. And you heard me walk through that a little bit, right? Uh, maybe it's just like, you know what? I don't really care what's good or better or best or wise in this case. I just want something sweet. 
So now, all of a sudden, I've made a trivial decision into something that's sort of become about me really not caring what God thinks and just wanting to do whatever I want to do, right? Which isn't uh, really a healthy heart attitude in that moment. So even the trivial things, our sin nature uh, weasels its way in there and sort of twists things a little bit. But here's the good news. God helps us. God guides us. He's present with us. If you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you have His Spirit. And in that sense, because God has given Himself to you, He is very invested, extremely invested, in even the trivial decisions of your life. He's with you in all of them, right? Uh, One of my favorite passages in 1 Corinthians uh, 6 um, talks about a large sin, talks about why would you go in with an adulterous woman, right? Why would you commit sexual immorality? And, and he goes on to explain the, the absurdity of it because you, you bring the Holy Spirit with you when you do that. Well, that's a large sin there, uh, but it's true in the trivial things as well. Have you ever thought about that? In every little choice I make, the Holy Spirit is there with me, participating in the choices I make. And so I think that's encouraging because of a reminder, you know, we ask that question, well, does God care if I wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? Well, I don't think he has like this predetermined will that you know, it was supposed to be the red shirt. You messed it up. But in another sense, he's there and he's with me and he cares. And if I want to seek to do his will in that moment, he'll help me. That doesn't mean I have to belabor it for, you know, 45 minutes as I'm getting ready for the day. Um, but that God's invested in us because he's put himself in us, which is just incredible. So let's think of some of the ways that God guides us. First of all, we're reminded that God is in control. Uh, Let me hand out these three verses here. Would somebody turn to Proverbs 16.33? Somebody else to, or I should hand that one first. (laughs) Proverbs 16.33, who'd be willing to take that one? Jennifer, thank you. Philippians 4.19. Tony, thank you. Matthew 10.30. Janessa, thank you. All right, so let's start with Proverbs 16.33. A lot is cast into the lap, that is every decision is from the Lord. All right, so uh, we don't really use lots today. Probably the closest thing would be like dice, okay? And so the, the idea of the proverb is that even the dice, the role of the dice is the decision of the Lord. Now, I don't think that's a call for us to, you know, use dice in our decision making, Right? So if I roll above this number, I'll do this. If I roll below this number, I'll do this. Okay, Lord, lead me. Right? No, that's not what that proverb is telling us. It's just reminding us that the details of life are in the Lord's hands. He's in control. And that's important for us to remember when we're following His will. Because even in my decision-making, I am never more powerful than God. Okay? Uh, and that's, that's good for us to remember. Uh, who had Philippians 4.19? Tony. Okay, so this one takes a bit a, a step of logic here that I think is really helpful, but it's a promise that God is going to supply all of our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. So the first step is that God meets our needs, and we don't need to worry. So this, this kind of goes back to that anxious decision-making or restful decision-making. Like, God's, God's got this. I can trust Him. He's going to supply all my needs. But something else is sort of implied in that, And it's that he has a plan for supplying my needs, okay? So that's our next bullet point. God has a plan. Uh, Because this is a promise that looks out into the future, and God, with determination, says, I will supply all of your needs. Now, this is hard for our minds to grasp fully because we just live in the moment. You know, like, here I am today, and I can look back and kind of see how God provided for my needs, but I'm meeting my needs as they come. You know, it's like, oh, it's dinner time. I got to find somewhere to eat. Mary Lee, thanks for the meal tonight, by the way. That was great. So, um, you know, God provided, right? So I didn't know that. But here's the cool thing. I'll keep embarrassing you, Mary Lee, if you don't mind. So here's the cool thing. In the mind of God, right, the, the incredible mind of God, at some point in history, when, when God determined to write Philippians 4.19 and apply it to Lance's life, he looked ahead and had a plan for Mary Lee to bring dinner tonight to my house. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, in, that's incredible, right? 
Um, that's just how big our God's sovereignty is. Right? And we, we don't have plans like that. God knows all things. We don't. Uh, and so it's just his, his perfect provision, my God shall apply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, also implies not only he's going to meet my needs, but he already knows how he's going to do it, which is super cool, super cool. Uh, so, yeah, he's just huge and awesome. Uh, Matthew 10, 30. There it is. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. So God cares about the details of our lives cares about the details of our lives. He has named all the stars, and he knows the number of hairs on your head. I got a haircut yesterday, and uh, I, yeah, I ended up wearing the shirt I got a haircut in for the rest of the day. So if you have short hair, you've had this experience before. The, the barber used a thing, you know, to keep the hair from getting all down in my shirt, but it still happens. And so for the rest of the night, you know, there's just... All these tiny little hairs down my shirt are just itching my neck (laughs) for the rest of the day. Don't you feel bad for me? (laughs) You ever thought about the fact that God knew about every one of those little hairs? I couldn't find them. I couldn't get rid of them, you know, to stop itching. But God knows the location of every single one of them. Oh, that was $6.95 that he cut there. He has them all numbered. I mean, it's just crazy to think about the size of God's knowledge and the way he knows the details of our lives far, far beyond what we, what we can fathom. It's crazy. Fantastic. He cares about the details of our lives. We have a God who's in control. He has a plan for us and cares about the details of our lives. Um, So as we think about these things, they are Again, what we're doing here is we're enlarging our view of God so that fear of God rules in our decision-making. And, and when we understand what he's like, it just there's this restfulness that comes. I don't have to be anxious. Now, do I, do I want to make a wise decision? Do I want to use his discernment and follow you know, his written word and do the best that I can? Yeah, but he's huge, and it's going to be okay. And that's just really encouraging to be reminded of when other fears are kind of tempting me uh, to doubt and to worry and to wonder and all of that. So we're going to use uh, the rest of the time to walk through a framework for decision making. Um, And so this just follows some steps in scripture that are highlighted as important. And I'd be curious as we go for your feedback as well, things that have been helpful to you in your own process of decision-making. So we'll look at a few passages of Scripture and and work our way through this. Number one. uh, Let's get caught up here. There we go. Consecration. Number one, consecration. Um, I think you have all the passages in your notes, so maybe we could have volunteers ready to read these again. Um, Somebody willing to go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Carrie, thank you. Um, actually, do you mind also doing Romans 12.3 when we get there, since you're already open to that? Okay. Uh, next, Psalm 25.5. Who would take that one? Melissa, thank you. Luke 11.13. Michael, thank you. Um, there are three right near each other in Proverbs. Maybe somebody would be willing to take those through. Chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 15. Larry? And I think, if you, do you have the notes, Larry? Because the references are there. Okay, perfect. Um, Joshua 1, 8, and 9. Tony, thank you. And then Romans eight twenty eight. Marcia, thank you. All right. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Carrie. There you go.
Okay, isn't that interesting how the verse connects all of that to the will of God? Has that ending ever surprised you before? Um, I've always thought it was kind of like, oh, that's where he goes with it. Okay, well, that's interesting. He's like, present your bodies a living sacrifice, and you know, it's your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the Lord for his glory, or something like that. But it ends with, so you discern his will, ultimately. Uh, which is kind of interesting. So actually just giving ourselves to the Lord, consecrating ourselves to God, just continually offering ourselves to him, is one of the ways that we effectively um, work through that process of discerning his will and walking in his will, Uh, making sure that we're not being conformed to the world, um, but that he is transforming us uh, by his word. So we're going to dig into uh, some of the specifics of this pathway. We're just kind of introducing it tonight. Um, but offering ourselves, our, our jobs, our talents, our money, our marriages, our parenting, everything uh, to God. Not to earn his favor. Not like, okay, God, um, I'm offering it to you so that you'll give me what I want. But just, just for his glory. Like he gave himself for me. And so I want to live for him. So everything I have, everything that's a part of my life, I want him to use for his glory. And when I know him, when I know what he's like, that's not a scary thing. Because I know that what glorifies him will also be good. Be good for me. Um, we turn away from the world and its desires. We turn away from ourselves and our desires. And we lay everything before God, not holding nothing back. Um, everything is his. And uh, Jesus puts this succinctly in Matthew 6.33, which is another neat um, verse about following God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And again, that's in that do not worry passage when he talks about food and, and clothing and you know, all these things that the Gentiles seek after, right? He says, seek first God and his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things... They'll be added. They'll, they'll be taken care of, right? The Lord will care for these matters. Um, so, uh, consecration, setting ourselves apart to God. And this is so helpful. We, we've talked about how following God's will it has a lot to do with worship. I think that's part of why this first step of consecration is so important, because we're taking those things that we tend to worship, and we're prying our hands open again and laying them out before God and saying, no, it's not about these things. Everything is for you. And, uh, and I offer it all to you again. Uh, a living sacrifice is, it's worship. It's worship. Okay? So that one's helpful. Uh, number two, Carrie, would you read verse three now for us, please? For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath held to every man the measure of all right, so we're kind of latching on to the, the thinking that he brings up here. Thinking, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we should, but thinking soberly. Um, and there's sort of this issue of uh, discernment and gathering information. Um, is this right? Is this just something that I want to do, or is this something God has, has told me to do? Uh, they offer us the question, is this something prohibited by God, right? And so, you know, kind of verse 2 and verse 3 um, highlight that for us. Is this something the world is pressing me to do, or is this something that is a part of um, God, what God has said is, is good and acceptable? Now, obviously, if we answer this question in the negative, right, oh, uh, God says I should not do this, right? Don't murder. Okay, well, there we go. I know it's not God's will for me to uh, murder. But sometimes, uh, in fact, most of the time, we're dealing in categories where we're having trouble telling if there's a clear yes or a clear no. Sometimes that's due to blindness on our part. Um, Other times that's uh, just due to, it's a a discernment issue. And so gathering information is, is helpful seeking counsel from others, studying the scriptures, uh, you know, thinking it through, is there anything in my heart that might be swaying my judgment here, and so forth. 
The next one, Psalm 25, 5. Who had that? Melissa. All right, this is a great prayer, isn't it? Uh, so the next one is supplication. We ask God for help. We ask God for help. Guide me in your truth and teach me. And uh, Psalm 25 has become a precious prayer to me when I'm seeking the Lord's will on something. And I encourage you, just uh, you can just open that psalm and pray through it. It's a great one. Psalm 37 is another one. Uh, if you'd like to pray, pray through Scripture to ask the Lord for help to know as well. And I love the way verse 5 ends, my hope is in you. I wait on you, Lord. Um, I, I trust you. Who had Luke eleven thirteen? All right. So uh, Jesus makes this comparison in his teaching. If earthly fathers who are evil, and again, that's a strong statement, but the idea is we're, we're fallen, we have sin natures, we're, you know, our earthly fathers are, are, are much lower than our heavenly father. How much more when we ask the heavenly father will we meet our needs? Now here it mentions the Holy Spirit, uh, and I think it has to do with the one through whom God gives us help, Right? Um, I think about the greatest help God could have given was to not just save us, but then <laughs> indwell us uh, and be with us in all of the stuff of life. Um, and so, yeah, there's this just importance of asking our good Father, knowing that He just He desires to help us. And uh, there's so much encouragement in that. We tend to think a verse like that means that, well, then if I ask Him, He would say yes. But he's better than that. He's gooder than that. Um, and he's so good. Uh, you know, a, a verse like this reminds us, if I've asked and he says no, then I just have to totally redefine what I was thinking was good. Um, because God knows better. He just knows better. And so there are many times in life we have to readjust our perception of what we thought was good uh, because I've asked for it and God keeps saying no, which means... It's not good for me, right? At least not yet. And, uh, and we can trust God with that. All right, number four, consultation. I already gave it away. Larry, would you read our three Proverbs verses for us, please? All right, all three verses talking about the importance of seeking input from others, um, seeking counsel. Um, there are pitfalls here, right? The Proverbs are principles, and I've even seen people use this principle to their own benefit. Um, so, you know, they've got two decisions before them, and they happen to know which people would recommend the decision that they want to take, and so then they only ask those people for advice. Everybody I asked told me I should do this one. So I should, you know, I got counsel and well, you know. So we have to be careful here. And our hearts have to be right in this, not just to get what we want, but to actually desire. Like when we come to people, what are we really looking for? Well, we want their help. And a lot of it is help me see the ways that as I'm trying to weigh the pros and cons and, and apply the scriptures and use discernment, where is my sin messing up my view of things? And with your outside perspective, can you help me see you know, where my heart is afraid of this or, or overattached to this? Um, can you help me process those things? And that's where an outside set of eyes can be super helpful. Um, if you're ever put in that position where you're asked to give advice, um, can I give you advice about giving advice? Uh, so, and the longer I'm alive, so I assume this is just going to continue to happen. The longer I'm alive, the more I realize how little I know. I just know so little. And people come for advice and 
you know, I can remember at points thinking that I'm pretty sure I know. You know, again, if they're asking, like, should I murder this person? Well, okay, I, mean, I can tell you, no, you should not murder this person. But, um, but often it's more about what's going on in their hearts than it is about me telling them what's good for them. Because in a lot of the, of the scenarios of life, I, I can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I know what's good for them. But I do know that consecrating themselves to the Lord, that praying about this, that you know, getting rid of idolatry and enlarging their view of God, I know those things are good, right? Um, less and less do I have any confidence that I know whether, you know, buying this car or getting this job, whether those are the good things. And so I just encourage you, um, as, as people come to you for counsel and advice, make it less about which outcome they should choose and ask questions about what's going on in their hearts. And um, I think that, I don't know, I'm still learning, I'm still figuring it out, but I've found that that seems to be a more helpful way to lead to, to really good things as opposed to getting distracted with, well, I just think color blue is amazing, so pick blue every time, right? Is that really good advice? You know, probably not. So, but asking questions that get to the heart, that's when we can really do good in people's lives, and uh, it's not so much about the outcomes. Who should you ask? Well, of course, people who know and love the Lord and know His Word, uh, it's wise. People who, have, who know you, uh, who have uh, interacted with you on a spiritual level, those all can be, can be helpful. I, I think there are times when we see wisdom even in those who don't know the Lord. I think in God's sovereign grace in his design of the universe, just like we see God's glory in creation, I think even those who are not saved, we see God's glory in ways. We see wisdom. We can see you know, sound advice. We have to be careful there because there can be priorities that don't align with Scripture involved too. Um, but, uh, but I certainly think um, there can be wisdom uh, in those sources as well. Number five, meditation. Who had Joshua 1, 8, and 9? Hmm. So many good things in that promise. Now, that's a, that's a promise to Joshua, so I don't want to over-apply it here today, but there's a, a really sweet principle in that. Um, and God just, to, to Joshua, God highlights the value of the Word. Uh, and He encourages Joshua, as the leader of Israel, get in the Word and meditate on it and uh, let it infiltrate your hearts, let it be on your mouth uh, day and night, let these things guide you um, and do what's written in it. And he says, that's what will lead to success and prosperity. Now, again, these are not laws, you know, like if we, if I just read the Bible 24-7, I'll be successful. Well, I, again, I don't know that I would suggest that quite exactly as a, as a promise, but I would say we need more of the scriptures in our lives, Right. And that there is so, so much help in the Word. I think sometimes we sell it short because we look at our decision and we're like, man, there's no passage on, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, and so we just don't read it. Or we think to ourselves, well, I know what it says. I mean, I got those verses, those five or six verses that I really love. Those are helpful. I thought about those. But we don't open it again and get into it. And, and it, yeah, it's just... There's so much more to be gleaned from the scriptures. It's living and powerful. Uh, you've experienced that, right? You go, to, go back to a passage you've been to 500 times before, and then suddenly just the Lord brings something to light that really strikes you in that moment with this decision. And, oh, man, I did not expect that. Well, if I didn't expect it, then I should get in the Word every time, right? Because it does the unexpected. Um, so mulling over God's Word, memorizing scripture. Uh, really encourage you towards scripture memory. 
that's just even a great protection against worry. Uh, choosing to fill your mind with scripture rather than just letting it wander into worry. Uh, people, people often say, you know, I don't really know what it looks like to meditate on scripture. And I forget what book it was that pointed this out, but it pointed out the fact that everybody knows how to meditate. It's what you do when you worry. Okay, you're just meditating on your worries. You're looking at them from every angle. You're thinking about every possible outcome. You're imagining the different ways it's going to play out. Right? That's meditation. Okay? So replace worry meditation with scripture meditation. It's a great way to battle anxiety. Uh, all right, I'm going to press on here. We've got to finish up. Number six, make a decision. Uh, Kevin DeYoung has written a book called Just Do Something. Uh, I think we have it on our shelf back there. Uh, it's helpful. What he spends a lot of his time on is kind of what we read in Joshua 1, 9. Because right after God says to Joshua, you know, meditate on the word. Do you remember what verse 9 was? Be strong and courageous. Okay? There would be points in Joshua's leadership of Israel where he had to make some bold decisions. And there wasn't always, you know, the kind of clarity we want sometimes where it's like, you know, the writing on the wall sort of clarity. And Joshua had to step forward in faith and make a decision based on discernment, based on, you know, as his study of the word and God's work in his life and be courageous, do it. And there's a point in decisions when we often have to do that. I think at least the way my personality is wired, I think I can safely say there are very few, at least the big decisions in my life. I don't think I can think of any decisions that I was 100% sure of when I made them, right? You can't come to a point, you wrestle through it, you talk with the Lord. Well, of all that I know, of all that I've studied, of all I've fought through, of the counsel I've received, you know, this one's here. It's, you know, 10 points ahead of this one. <laughs> and it's time to make the decision. So there we go. And you step forward in faith and trust the Lord that, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not 100% sure, but it's right now when it's time to make the decision, it's clear it's, it's, it's better than the other one, and so we're going to go for it and trust the Lord that that's all I needed to make the decision. You know, it was just sometimes we're, we're searching for that 100%, you know, feeling from God, and he, he might give it, but that's not been my experience uh, in life so far. Uh, and then finally, expectation. expectation. Um, And this is where we have to measure our expectations or balance our expectations. Um, Sometimes when we are convinced we've made the right decision and then things don't go the way we planned, uh, there can be, it could really be a challenge. Was God just not good? Did I make the wrong choice? And so then we, then we blame that one decision for how things have unfolded. Um, Romans 8.28 is helpful because even, even when we make the right decisions, uh, the guaranteed outcome is that God will be good. Does that make sense? Like the guaranteed outcome is not that if I make this choice, then everything will be happy in my life. Well, you may have made the right choice and, and God may still see in his goodness that it's time to bring a trial in. And so then you just blame it all. Well, I guess I made the wrong decision. And then, you know, you can over wrestle that. But it just may be that it was the right choice. And this is what God had. And the next thing he had on your path was this trial to, to, to grow your long suffering like Jesus. And... Um, you know, so we, we just have to be careful with expectations. That's where Romans 8.28 helps us uh, because the thing that we can expect after every decision is that God is still good and he's still using it for good. And um, we talk about this a lot in our sermons. God's bigger than our mistakes, right? Even if I did make the wrong choice, if I, if I sinned, right, and I'm confident that I sinned, I can't thwart God's plan for the universe, right? You know, he just... He's bigger than that. He knows all the things that I, that I will do, and so that's super encouraging. All right, conclusion. When we rest in the sovereign goodness of God, we can trust the sufficiency of his word to give us wisdom and discernment, uh, the, the wisdom and discernment we need to make decisions that are pleasing to him and to follow his will.
All right, so we're just, this is the tip of the iceberg. We're going to dig into a lot of these concepts uh, over the next few weeks. Like I said, uh, Seth Thompson, Lord willing, will be teaching next week, and then uh, we'll, I'll continue on after that, um, diving into what it looks like to follow the Lord's will. We'll be closed with that. Why don't we break up and uh, split up into our prayer groups. Thanks for coming out tonight, and uh, when you're done praying, you're dismissed. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.